0: ABC Listen podcasts, radio, news, music, and more. You don't like you got freedom, like in like for basketball. Like we constantly had to be like on a set schedule for them, and like I don't want to be by coached by like you got to be here 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 like every single day.
1: That's the sound of the Cavender twins telling YouTuber Jake Paul why they quit basketball to become full-time influencers. If you haven't heard about these blonde twenty-somethings. It's a thoroughly modern tale. Beautiful and talented hoopers blow up on TikTok, leading to a reshaping of an athlete's journey where the destination might not be sporting glory, but social media follows... How that power is being harnessed is as fascinating as it is lucrative. It's helped change the college athlete scene forever. Today we step inside the Cavender effect and try to understand the TikTokification of sport. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Ethan Strauss is an American sports journalist who has written for ESPN, The Bleacher Report, The Athletic and The Free Press, just to name a few. He has a substack called The House of Strauss. And he recently interviewed the Cavender Twins as part of a feature piece. Ethan, many sports fans in Australia would not be across the Cavender Twins. Can you give us a brief hmm. breakdown on how Haley and Hannah Cavender became the big stars that they are?
2: Yeah, I think many Americans over the age of twenty five would not be across the Cavender twins. They're they're a very uh, youth dynamic. The quick intro is that they have made more money, Haley and Hannah Cavender, off playing women's basketball than anybody in the history of women's basketball. Hannah Cavender gives it to her sister Haley three. Why is that interesting? Well, it's interesting because they are not. WNBA level players. They are not pro level players. And indeed, they even retired. From the NCAA, the, uh, the collegiate playing ranks, where they have made a lot of money out of endorsements.
0: Um, I think just being able to optimize and to be able to monetize as a student athlete, especially female athletes, because not everybody has the opportunity to go
2: pro. It opens up all these questions right now about who is valued currently in the sports landscape, considering that if we were just being blunt about it, attractiveness is a big factor and a big reason why they've been able to garner so much money.
1: How would you describe their content for those who aren't across their TikTok or their Instagram? It
2: is a few different things. There is an aspect of what some might call cheesecake shots, but there's also an aspect that gets into how a lot of young influencers are really good at uh, hacking the algorithm in a way or having the intuition to do it because a lot of their content is lip syncing to whatever song is popping on TikTok.
1: Tone, tan, fit and ready. Turn it up because it's getting heavy.
2: Striking the right mood, uh, sending out the right message.
0: YouTube fam, what's up guys? Today i are gonna show you guys uh, what we eat in a day. Um, we know you guys love these videos and we've kind of changed some things around because we are in a mini cut right now.
2: And what you see when you're around them is that they're very strategic about this. And while it's easy to condescend the influencers of this age, this is a very competitive marketplace, the attention economy and to compile just millions of followers in this way, you do have to have a certain savant's knack for it. So they're good at just fitting whatever the vibe is, and it's what's allowed them to become big celebrities. We're
0: gonna go get some water at this cafe. I get a photo with you, I know you're
2: Yeah, famous. yeah, hi, okay. Um, I when they were playing at Fresno State, which out in the United States is a very obscure college, and then to parlay that to even greater fame when, when they went to a bigger time college at the University of Miami, they've become so successful that they don't even need college basketball anymore. It's a rather remarkable story.
1: They've also been having a kind of rolling battle with the NCAA, America's college sports arm. Why have the two parties clashed Yeah, so
2: that is this bigger story in American sports. But the NCAA, the system by which the university students play sports, and for years, for over half a century, you had to be an amateur, kind of like Olympians used to have to be an amateur. And so you couldn't make money. And this became controversial because Obviously, some of these sports got very big time, uh, specifically football and basketball. And so the U.S. Supreme Court eventually made a ruling that indicated this could no longer continue, that the NCAA had to allow people to make money. So it's a major change. I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar industry, college sports is in the United States, and that even undersells it. We're talking tens of billions of dollars when you open up those floodgates, it's almost as one of the people involved in this space, an agent for athletes said to me, almost a little bit like when the uh, Soviet Union went capitalist and suddenly the oligarchs were just gobbling up money. It's kind of this chaotic period where there's all this money flying around. And that's where the uh, Cavendish twins entered into. They became the winners in all of this. Suddenly they're making way more than their coach. They're making way more money than the administrators, anybody else on campus. And it appeared to maybe spotlight them to the NCAA, who Gave the first ruling in this, now we call it the uh, NIL era, where you can make money off your name, image, and likeness, NIL.
0: NIL changed my life, Uh, so I've definitely been able to just learn to capitalize off of it and position myself to be able to be successful in the future.
2: They were the first to be highlighted for punishment. They weren't punished, but their coach who recruited them was punished, but it had to do with the coach. Introducing them to a booster, John Ruiz, a billionaire, in their recruitment ran afoul of the uh, technical rules of the NCAA. And the epilogue of that story is that the Cavender twins had one more season to play, and even though they just had a very successful season with Miami, have decided to say, "Forget it. We're stars now. We're out. We're done." I
0: think we had a great career, four years of college basketball. So I think just positioning ourselves to. Um be successful beyond the years of college sports, like Hannah said.
1: So in many ways, they've played a large role in transforming the college athlete space. And this dispute, as you touch on, it's been happening forever. And I think when the conversation started decades ago, many assumed the money might come in the form of sports apparel endorsements and the like. Does this sort of change of the paradigm have the potential to see something quite different where... Sports are a vehicle to social media stardom where the social media audience is the destination, maybe not the vehicle.
2: Yeah, that's a great observation. I think it's bringing up a lot of questions that people weren't prepared for. I think it was assumed that women might not make that much money relative to the men. But that hasn't been the case. It's actually quite comparable when you look at the top 10. But then there's this other assumption, which was, well, the best players, will just obviously the most money. But that didn't happen if the Cavender twins made the most money uh, of all time. I mean, one of the Cavender twins, Haley, is quite a good player, but she's not going to go pro. Her sister was coming off the bench. This is not why they're making millions of dollars. So there's this other aspect where the whole goal of it, in college sports was to win and it was high in prestige but low in payment but if some of the women who are making the most money are perhaps making the most money off attractiveness or ability to cultivate a social media following then that's an incentive structure that appears to be at loggerheads with the traditional incentive structure of college sports
0: being a female athlete there's very little chance to go pro and be very successful for women's basketball So I think being able to, you know, show the younger generation, if you prioritize NIL in college, you can set yourself up for um, success beyond basketball or beyond
2: your sport. I think when they opened up the floodgates to the professionalization of college sports, which I think I'm broadly in favor of, I just don't think that many in charge were really thinking about the implications and figuring out how to reckon with what was going to happen.
1: It's easy for older generations, as you touch on, to be dismissive of social media content. Can you explain why what they've built should not be underestimated?
2: Well, it's power, number one. Everybody is looking for the skeleton key of how do we get young people in this noisy entertainment ecosystem? How do we get young people to buy our product? That's why they're making millions of dollars and they have brands that are far flung and obscure but Champ Sports in the United States is not obscure and they'll do a TikTok of shopping at Champ Sports.
0: The brand fits us like so well. our girly side and then our athletic side getting to show that to our fan base. We're super excited to be part of the brand.
2: They I think, have a lot of power because they've been able to accrue this following. And then it's connected to these other social issues because what's happened in the United States is that gambling has also contemporaneously almost been legalized and those floodgates have opened up. And currently the gambling money is propping up a lot of the sports media content. And this is high end content and this is low end content. You have the following and then you have the influencers perhaps trying to funnel the people watching them, the young men watching them into gambling more and gambling more. And maybe you can say it's a free country and maybe you can say, hey, that's not that big a deal, but that does seem to be where it's headed. They've partnered with Better, which is a gambling uh, slash sports media content app. It is backed by Jake Paul, the influencer slash boxer.
1: Yeah, pretty pretty big. Probably seen them on social media, uh, superstar basketball players and the newest members of the Better family. The Cavender Twins.
2: They're on the make. I went to the warehouse of this company better. Everybody's young. Everybody's enthusiastic. And it appears to be the future. Now, whether you like that future is is a different conversation, but it's difficult to dismiss it all because it does seem like it really could be the future of sports media. I know I'm pinging around to so many different topics. As silly as this subject is, it, it appears to overlap with a lot that's going on in the zeitgeist.
1: It's interesting you touch on that because it seems as though they've become bigger, much bigger than institutional powers once already, if you consider the NCAA, but also sports media organizations, whether it's ESPN or similar, you know, maybe not bigger at that scale, but they're certainly less accountable. They're almost their individual contractors who can play it how they want to generate the biggest possible audience.
2: And that part is fascinating to me, the non-institutional nature of the Zoomers, the generation of people in their early 20s and younger than them. Personally, I think part of it is that they were not welcomed into the institutions. There's that old parable that uh, if the child is not invited to the village, you will burn it down. Uh, So there's this aspect where they might be a threat to institutional powers because they don't need institutional powers. I'm not even citing it as this is bad. I'm not even citing it as this is good this just is there's this entire ecosystem of younger people that are operating outside the traditional powers and have claimed a lot of power themselves because they appear to be the only ones who know how to communicate with their fellow young people
1: feels like you're scratching the surface of something very big that's moving very yeah. quickly uh thanks yes. for helping us pick our way through it ethan
2: oh thank you for having me uh house of strauss subscribe today would love to get some australian subscribers
1: Headlines. Is it just us, or does this first Ashes test feel like an instant classic? Australia with seven wickets in hand, needing 174 for victory with one day remaining. Some rain forecast, which means extra time pressure, and clouds, which means extra swing. Day four gave us absurd Joe Root batting, crafty Nathan Lyon spin, lion hearted pace from Pat Cummins, and English tail end fight back before a tense conclusion where Stuart Broad fired to remove Marnus Labashane and Steve Smith with some trademark swing bowling. Oh, to Smith, who drives it, he caught behind, yes! Broad is off to celebrate. He's already at cover, his teammates are mobbing him. It was full, it was picked up, and Smith has nicked it through to Bairstow. And that is the wicket England wanted before the close. Broad says there's some echoes of the famous 2005 series inspiring his side. Yeah, well, it was raining yesterday, actually. It was being played, wasn't it, on the big screen and on the on the telly. So we were watching it. So we were aware that, that it was around 280-odd. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't get as close as that. Hopefully we uh, get a few wickets early because that won't do much for um, the heart, will it? Usman Khawaja and Night Watchman Scott Boland will resume on the final day and you can catch every moment live and free on the ABC Listen app. Just click on the red cricket ball. Have you heard about Essendon's possible rebrand? They're considering changing the logo to remove the bomber image. The club is reportedly thinking about whether its fan base considers the wartime plane image to be appropriate. It sounds as though they're still going to be called the bombers, just that the warplane might go. All a little bit odd. And New Zealand's men's soccer team has abandoned its friendly with Qatar, saying they've been racially abused and officials failed to act. The All-Whites led 1-0 at halftime but refused to return for the second half, an official statement from the Kiwi saying that Michael Boxall was racially abused by a Qatari player... No official action was taken, so the team have agreed not to come out for the second half. One to keep an eye on. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Poppy Penny. Thanks to BS with Jake Paul on YouTube, the Cavender Twins YouTube and TikTok accounts, USA Today, Champs Sport and the Mid-Atlantic Sports Network for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.